says, in this world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he tells us in Romans 8, 837, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are overcomers. We're conquerors of those who have the victory. We have the victory through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that truly is. Take your Bibles, if you have them with you tonight, I hope and pray that you do. Let's look in Hebrews chapter number 9, and we're going to go just a little bit further into the ninth chapter of Hebrews. There's so much good stuff here. Uh, we could spend another six months in Hebrews chapter 9, but um, this evening we're going to try to get just a little bit further anyway. If you remember last week, I told you that Hebrews chapter 9 is really a tale of two tabernacles, or if you like, uh, it's sayings about two sanctuaries. Same thing, a tabernacle and a sanctuary is where God chooses to meet uh, with his people in a uh, concerted effort. And so that's what they had in the Old Testament, and that's what he talks to us about here in Hebrews chapter number 9. He talks about the Old Testament tabernacle or sanctuary where the Old Testament high priest ministered uh, in verses 1 through 10. And if you remember, I told you that after about verse number 10, there's a chapter division. And, and then he begins telling us about the heavenly sanctuary where our high priest, the Lord Jesus, ministers. And he talks about in those first 10 verses how that the Old Testament sanctuary and the Old Testament high priest are inferior to the heavenly sanctuary and our new high priest under the new covenant, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you believe that to be true? Amen. There's none above Jesus. Nothing wrong with the work of the Old Testament priest and the place of the Old Test Testament sanctuary. It had its place and God used it for its purpose. But folks, how many of you know now a better high priest who ministers according to a better covenant that's based upon better promises is what we have today. And so that's really the description he's giving us here in Hebrews chapter 9. He's comparing and contrasting these two tabernacles and the high priest that ministered in them. And so tonight what I want to do is go further into that. And really what we did last week, I gave you a whole lot of information on the Old Testament sanctuary itself. What it looked like, um, what all the pieces of furniture meant, what that meant for us. And, and I, I gave you that information for a reason uh, because it is certainly necessary for us to actually understand uh, what all those things were then and what they mean now. But tonight I want to go just a little bit of a different route. We may come back and give some more information on the heavenly sanctuary next time we're together. But what I want to do this evening it is apply this. I don't want to give as much information on the tabernacle itself, but I want to make application as to what this means to you and to me. Because if we don't apply this truth, then we're never going to receive it in its fullness. Can you say amen? And if we don't get the full message here, if we don't actually apply it to our lives, there's no hope of change for us. And I'm telling you, if we can get a hold of this truth tonight and apply this truth tonight, It'll not only make a difference in our lives this evening, and it'll bless our hearts seeing who Christ is and what He's done for us, but it'll make a difference tomorrow morning in the way we live. But we've got to apply this. We've got to really dig deep into it and see what thus says the Lord according to our life and our relationship with Him. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that this evening. So what I want to do, I'm just going to start there in verse number 11. And I'm going to read through verse number 15. Now before we go any further, at about 15 till, uh, till 8 tonight, 
the, the kids are going to come up from classes and they're going to meet with us just a little bit. And I got something to tell everybody. So um, what I'm going to do, uh, they, they're going to come to the door and y'all kind of, somebody be my timekeeper. I know there's a clock here, but I always forget to look at it. Y'all know that, don't you? It's, <laughs> I don't look at it near as much as I should. So if I go get close to the 745 and I ain't looked at it, somebody give brother, give me a signal. All right, if, if I get close to 745, you give me a signal, we're gonna wait on them, all right? But we'll get as far as we can until then. So let's read, starting in verse number 11, we'll read through verse number 15. But Christ being, being come an high priest of good things to come. Now, how many of you are thankful this evening that what we have because of the finished work of Jesus is good things? All of it's good things. I'm telling you, it's good to know Jesus. It's good to serve Jesus. It's good to live for Jesus. It's good to talk to Jesus. And it's, listen to me now, it's good to listen to Jesus. All that we have because of the finished work of Christ, it's good things. We're going to learn more about that. But he goes on to say, good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. So what he's saying is, he's contrasting now. And comparing the earthly tabernacle that he described in verses 1 through 10. And he moves on and he says, look, we have a, the tabernacle that Jesus ministers in. It's a tabernacle that's not made with human hands. But it's a heavenly tabernacle. And that's where Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. And if he's going to minister in a tabernacle, he's got to minister in a heavenly tabernacle. Because that's where he is in this, at this moment. That's where he has been. Since he ascended to the Father. So he's making clear to us that he's kind of switched gears. And now he's talking about the, uh, the heavenly tabernacle uh, that's used by King Jesus who is our high priest. Let's go on. Look at the next verse. Verse 12. I love this. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. Everybody say once. once. It was only necessary that Jesus entered into the holy place one time. Now let's let's remember, let's compare, not only contrast, but compare what we learned last week. What is the holy place? If you remember, they had the, the holy place in, in the in the uh, original tabernacle, the old testament tabernacle, they had the out what's called the outer court or the holy place, and, and that's where the priests, all of them, the Levitical priests, ministered in that day. And we talked a lot about that last time we were together. But then there was a division. After the altar of incense, which well, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. Do y'all remember that? And inside the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled. And if you're a Bible student, you remember that the Ark of the Covenant rep represented the presence and power of God among His people. So it was in the holy place, in the holiest of holies, that's where God Himself met with the high priest. Once a year. And it was on the Ark of the Covenant. They had what's called a mercy seat. And if you remember I told you. That the high priest on the day of atonement. One time out of the year. He would get to enter into the holy place. With the blood of the sacrifice. And place it there on the mercy seat. And then the sins of the nation. Would be rolled over year after year. After year after year. It was a covering that was used for that time until Jesus came as the true Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Can you say amen? But, but in that day, it was representative of what Jesus would do in the future. 
Now, he's saying that Jesus, after he died on the cross and shed his blood, he entered into the heavenly holy of holies. He went into the heavenly holy of holies and then placed his own shed blood there upon the mercy seat. And he only had to do it one time. Why? Because God was satisfied with the perfect, righteous, holy sacrifice of his son. Can you say amen? Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son, the sinless Son of God, went to the cross and became sin so that I might be called the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And so that's what he's describing there. It wasn't through the blood of goats and calves under the Old Covenant, but by the blood of the Son of God and God the Son Himself that was shed on Calvary. And that's when He went in one time and placed his blood there on the mercy seat in the heavens. What a, what a blessing that is. Look at verse number number uh, 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean. And if you, if you underline in your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and underline that the ashes of a heifer sprinkling there in verse number 13. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But look what else it says. The ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, again, he is the sinless, holy, perfect Son of God. He came without spot or blemish. Can you say amen? Being born perfect through the virgin birth, having lived perfect keeping the law completely and totally for 33 and a half years, never sinning. Then he went and died for my sin so that we could be made right with God. He offered himself without spot to God, and he did it for this purpose. Look at the last part. This is really going to be our focus tonight. Verse number 14. He says, he did this to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I love that. So he's telling us he did what he did to purge our conscience from dead works. Now, let me ask you something. What good is dead works? It's useless. And if you've got a polluted conscience, if you've got a dirty conscience, <laughs> which is caused by sin, we'll see that in a minute, then any works you do are dead works. They're tainted. What he's saying is the sin problem has to be taken care of for our works uh, that, that we work for the Lord to be effective. Without a clean conscience, we cannot be effective in our work for the Lord. Amen. And all of those works in the Old Testament that they, they did um, through the... Uh, the works of the law. They were dead works. Why? Because they still had a problem with sin. Sin that separated them from God. Sin that hindered them from being effective in their work for the Lord. And he said, Jesus come to set all that right. <laughs> to clean our conscience. To, to completely and totally cleanse us of our sin. Verse 15, watch this. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament or the new covenant that by means of death, 
for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. The word eternal is used twice in that passage of scripture through 11 and 15. One time he talks about eternal redemption. And then he talks about an eternal inheritance. Our eternal redemption was purchased by the shed blood of Christ. Now, those who place faith in his finished work have an eternal inheritance. And throughout the ages, we will continually discover the riches of the amazing grace of God according to Ephesians 2.15. So, I want you to know, those who are redeemed by the finished work of Jesus are not just kind of redeemed. You're not just mostly redeemed. Brothers and sisters, you are fully redeemed. You are eternally redeemed. Those who place faith in the finished work of Jesus are not just partly forgiven. You are fully forgiven. You are considered an adopted son or daughter of God himself. Because what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, the shed blood of Christ did. Praise the Lord. Isn't he good? <laughs> Isn't he good? Now, keep your place there in Hebrews chapter number 9. And we'll get back over there in just a moment if we have time. But what I want to do is just flip, flip with you over to Numbers 19. Now, Numbers 19 is actually foreshadowing of a lot that we've been talking about concerning the tabernacle and the high priest throughout the book of Hebrews. It is a prequel, if you will, to the main event of when Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. And as you know, you will learn more about the main story if you watch the prequel, wouldn't you? Well, that's kind of what we're going to do tonight with Numbers 19. Numbers 19 gives us an object lesson or a picture of the Lord Jesus and what He has done for us. So let's look there this evening. And I'm not going to read all of this for you word for word. I would encourage you to go back maybe in your quiet time and do that later. But I do want to point out just a few verses and make three main points and I'm going to be done. The first thing though that I want to point out from Numbers 19 is one word. It's the word... Unclean. Everybody say unclean. unclean. Alright? In Numbers 19, if I've counted right, y'all can check me up this week, but if I've counted right in Numbers 19, at least 15 times, you're going to find the word unclean. Over and over and over again. You'll see it, first of all, starting in verse number 7, in verse number 8, in verse number 10, in verse 11, in verse 13, 14, 15. 16, 19, two times in verse number 20, one time in verse number 21, and then again in verse number 22. Now, the word unclean in Numbers 19, the idea of being unclean in Numbers 19, represents the sinfulness in the life of the child of God according to Hebrews chapter number 9. And we'll look at how all that works. So when you think unclean, you think Sin, Because that's what the Bible is actually pointing towards. And let me show you why. 
How many of you know, in Numbers 19, God gives several things that would make the nation of Israel, His chosen people, unclean. These people of faith, they were operating under the law. They were God's chosen people. Can you say amen to that? But while doing so, listen to me now, He told them certain things they should do and certain things they shouldn't do. And He's pretty much saying, if you won't do the things I say you shouldn't do, or if you don't do the things I say you shouldn't do, and either way, do the things I tell you you should do, then you're not going to be considered unclean. You will be in right fellowship with me. But then he tells them, he says, look, there's a lot of things you don't need to do, and these things are going to make you unclean. Verse 11 is one of them. We'll, we'll start right there. In verse number 11, he says something here to the nation of Israel. He says, he that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Now, are, is God meaning here when he tells his people um, that you'll be unclean seven days by touching the dead person? Is he telling them they'll be physically unclean? Well, yeah, of course. No doubt about it. God is protecting his people here from contagion. He's protecting them from the disease that might have killed the dead man. Now, they didn't know in that day, they didn't have a microscope and they had to study germ warfare. They didn't know how disease was passed or transmitted from one person to another. But God, the Holy Spirit, revealed to Moses long before there was ever any study on hygiene and said, look, you tell my people not to touch the dead man. For God knew if they touched the dead man, the disease that killed him might spread to everybody else. So was God saying they'd be physically unclean? Well, yeah, he was saying that. But listen, he was saying much more than that. God was giving the command to say, look, don't touch the dead people. Now, what would happen if they touched the dead people? Well, that just means they broke the command of God. They wasn't doing what they knew God had told them to do. And so by doing so, what did they do? Well, they had ultimately sinned. Were they physically unclean by touching the dead man? Yes. But even more than that, they were spiritually unclean because they broke God's law. They didn't do what God told them to do. Now, a good verse that I want to give you before we go any further. Brother, put uh, James chapter 4 in verse number 17 on the screen. Watch what the scripture says right here. I think this will help you. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's what? Sin. What was the good thing according to Numbers 19.11? The good thing was to not touch the dead guy. Now if the people knew that, they knew it because God had given His word through His man Moses. If the people knew that but they chose to go touch the dead guy, what did they just did? It sinned. They'd become unclean. Not only physically, but spiritually. Are you getting it? Don't, don't just stop at the physical. Yeah, these are rules concerning hygiene. No doubt about it. It is physical, but God's showing them something much deeper. And He's showing us something much deeper. They were actually doing what God said they shouldn't do. And because of that, um, they were spiritually unclean. They had sinned. Now, because of their sin, their conscience, their very being had been polluted. They'd gotten dirty. What I want to do tonight 
is give you three truths concerning a polluted conscience or an unclean conscience. First of all, I want us to see the causes of an unclean conscience. The causes of, a, of an unclean conscience. We just read Numbers 19.11 where God said that you don't need to go touch the dead man. Now, if there's a dead man laying up here in state, uh, and, and you were back in that day when God had given His word to Moses, and Moses had given the word of, of the Lord to the people, and, and, and you walked up having known what Moses said and touched the dead guy, guess what you just did? You deliberately, willfully, with your eyes open, chose to go against what God said you shouldn't do. Are you getting it? Deliberate sin is the first cause of a polluted or an unclean conscience. Deliberate, willful sin. Now let me ask you something. Did those people in that day, did they deliberately, willfully break God's law? Know to do what's right, but do it not. Did they deliberately sin? Yes. Let me ask you this here tonight. Do we deliberately, willfully sin? Yes. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my Christian walk, I get just sick of myself. I understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he said, the things I don't want to do, I sometimes find myself doing, and the things I do want to do, I find myself not doing them. And he's beside himself, he's perplexed, and he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Go back and read. That's a good quiet time for you. Romans 7. He says, I'm doing things that I don't really want to do. I'm doing things that God saved me from. I'm doing things that I know God said I shouldn't be doing. And I find myself doing them. Paul, too, had a problem with deliberate, willful sin. That is certainly a cause an unclean conscience. Can you say amen? Not only is deliberate sin a cause of an unclean conscience, but also sin by association is a cause of an unclean conscience. Let me show what I mean. The Bible gives us the picture of it right here in Numbers chapter number 19. If you will please look down at verses 14 and 15. Numbers 19 Starting in verse number 14. This is the law. When a man dies in a tent, all that come into the tent and all that is in the tent shall be, watch this, unclean seven days. And every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it is unclean. So what he's saying is if you just walk into a tent and you didn't even know somebody was sick or somebody had died, but you walk into the tent with them, you then become unclean by what? Association. You're breathing the air. You might not even touch them, but you're breathing the air. Maybe you touch something they touched. And that makes you unclean. Do you understand that we can become unclean in the world we live in by what we associate with? Now listen to me, folks. There is no doubt we become, we, we become unclean. We have an unclean conscience because of deliberate sin. 
I mean, when you know God says leave it alone and you touch it, well, you openly, willfully, deliberately broke God's law. But sometimes I think we forget that we can become unclean just by association. You say, Brother, what do you mean by association? I'm going to tell you something. Just living in the world we live in, it can rub off on us. I'm talking about the things you watch on TV. I'm talking about the books you read. <clears throat> Amen? Hey, there is a... I, I know a lot of people think, you know, what I watch on TV or, or, or what I read, that don't have that much... It don't bother me. It don't have that much of an impact on me. Let me tell you this, folks. There is a reason that advertisers spend hundreds of millions of dollars on three minutes worth of time for a Super Bowl commercial every time we have a Super Bowl. They understand the power of suggestion. They understand that there's going to be millions upon millions of people watching at that time and they're putting their message out there and they understand just how powerful that is. Because the truth is, what goes down into the well, <laughs> it'll soon come up into the bucket. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus, he said it like this. He said it's not uh, what goes into a man that defiles the man, but what comes out of the man. Well, listen to me. I can promise you this though. You put good things in, you can expect good things out. Are you getting me? You gotta be careful what you listen to. You gotta be careful what you allow into your eye gate, into your ear gate. You gotta be careful what you allow to take over your thought process. For the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 17, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. There's a reason the Apostle Paul said, Romans 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why is it important you stay plugged in to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church? Because you're getting your mind renewed. Why is it important that you spend your daily quiet time with the Lord, getting in God's truth one-on-one -on -one with Him? Why is that important? Because you're getting your mind renewed. Why is it important that you're guarding what you let into your mind? Because Satan would like nothing else than to cause you to doubt God's truth. He's always done that. That's always been his method. What did he say to Eve? Hath God truly said, Thou shalt die. The first thing he utters, the first tactic he uses is try to get you to doubt the truth of who God is and what God says. Guard what you let into your mind. Amen. We can become unclean by association. What we watch, what we look at, what we listen to, be careful. We must guard our heart. Amen. Not only are we sometimes, do we sometimes gain a, an unclean conscience by 
deliberately sinning and, and, and sinning uh, by association, but also sometimes we, we, uh, we gain an unclean conscience simply because we stumble into sin. That happens too. It really does. Look for me verse verse number 16, what the Bible tells us there. And whosoever touches one that is slain with a sword in the open fields or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. See it? So the picture is this. you got this guy walking out across the field. There's been a battle in this field. And maybe the, the grass is taller than what he can uh, see the ground. And he trips over a body accidentally. He stumbles over a body. Well, it, the Bible says, well, if you touched him, even if you stumble over it, that's going to make you what? Unclean. What does that mean for us? How does this apply? Listen to me, folks. You ever been sitting around and thoughts pop into your mind that you know are not pleasing to God? There's a reason. Jesus said this. Jesus said that if a man or woman looks upon another man or woman, whatever the case may be, that is not their spouse with lust in their heart. That's just like committing adultery. Isn't that what Jesus said? Lust can pop into our mind. Dr. David Jeremiah is one of my favorite preachers of all time. He said it like this. He said, you know, I cannot control the birds from flying around my head. No more than I can control those thoughts that pop into my mind. He said, but what I can do is keep those birds from making a nest in my hair. I can take captive every thought. Sometimes you can be in the middle of traffic and stumble into something because somebody cut you off or like I told you a week or so ago, like they did to me on the interstate, they can tell you number one. And before you know it, automatically anger rises up within you and you've stumbled into sin, gotten angry. And if you didn't say some things, some harsh words you probably shouldn't have said, you probably thought of. And we've stumbled into something. It happens. Let me give you this. You'll be scrolling through your phone. And sometimes, do you ever wonder, where did that come from? How did that even happen? Something pop up that leads you down the wrong direction, and guess what? You stumbled into something. You stumbled into sin. You've touched the dead thing. Are you still telling me? Happens all the time, baby. It happens all the time because we live in a world that is against God and against His truth. I'm talking about a worldly system that's not controlled by flesh and blood, that is against God and against His truth. So we must guard ourselves. Sometimes we deliberately sin. Sometimes we get dirty 
in a very unclean place in an unclean world by association. Sometimes we stumble into things that gets us in trouble. I think that's the picture we see right here in Numbers 19. And because of these things, we can gain an unclean conscience. Amen? Now, Lord, I want you to see the causes of an unclean conscience, but I also want you to see the consequence of the unclean conscience. First of all, the Bible teaches in verse number 20 that we lose fellowship with the people of God. Verse number 20, watch what the Bible tells us. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, and his show shall be cut off from among the congregation. Now, what does it mean to be cut off from among the congregation? That means you're not able or allowed to be a part of the congregation of your brothers and sisters. Why? Because you don't purify yourself. He's not saying the man who becomes unclean because of either deliberately sinning or guilty by association or just stumbling into something that got him into trouble. But, but if they go get purified, well, hey, look, all's good. That's what it's there for. That's what the purification is all about. But there may be somebody that don't want to get purified. Now, why would you not want to get purified from sin? Well, I'll tell you why. Because your sinful nature likes it. So does mine. That's why a lot of times what we will do, even as believers, we will surrender all to God except that little thing over here that we really like. And we'll justify that. A lot of times what will happen is God will start putting His finger on that thing. How much we got? Lord have mercy. God will start putting His finger on that thing, won't He? He does. And when that happens, when that happens, folks, it's always best to run to Jesus. Always best to run to Jesus. Because if not, guess what will take place? You will lose fellowship with the brethren. I had a pastor tell me something years ago that I believe with everything in me. He said this. He said, when you've got two brothers in Christ that can't get along, one of them sinned. One or both of them sinned. I believe that to be true. Why? Sin causes you to break fellowship. People tell me all the time, oh, brother, I don't need to go down to that church. They've done me wrong about that church. And they did this, that. they didn't do that over at that church. I don't need to go to that church to serve God. That tells me a whole lot about their walk with Jesus. Let me tell you why. First of all, if you're truly in right relationship and fellowship with God, you will want to fellowship with the brethren. There'll be a desire for that. Secondly, listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. Not only will you have a desire to fellowship with the brethren, but now listen, you will also have a desire to do what God told you to do. And he told you, if you've got an order against your brother, if you've got an offense against your brother, go to that brother. Get that thing right. And if you're not willing to do that, it's because sin abides in your life. That's for all of us. That's for all of us. So you lose fellowship with the brethren when you harbor sinful attitudes and actions. When you hold on to the unclean thing. But not only that, listen, you lose, you miss out on the freedom of serving, the God, serving God effectively. 
And we'll talk about that next time. Thank you, guys. Everybody give them a hand. Give them a hand.